listening to First Church Charlotte. Let's get started. Uh, we're going to continue our subject uh, referring to learning uh, what spiritual things teach us about love and what love teaches us about spiritual things. Uh, but before we before we start, let's let's begin with prayer. And um, Brother Rick, well, since you have already spoken with such eloquence and historical uh, insight, why don't you lead us in prayer and then we'll get started. Lord, in Jesus name, we do come before your throne this evening and we acknowledge our absolute, complete and total dependence upon you. We love you and we want your perfect will in our lives and ask you to bless everybody that's a part of this and ask you to anoint Brother Nathan to preach it to us like we need to hear it, Lord, and help us to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand so we'll be changed in any way we need to be changed. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Um, All right. So let me start with a review of what we talked about last week. And we referred to a very interesting study that had been done uh, that psychologists had done in relationships that that were succeeding and relationships that ultimately went on to fail. And we talked about how one of the things we do in a relationship, this is most directly applied in this teaching format to marriage, but this is true in any close relationship of our lives. Uh, The manner of our love and devotion one to another will change with the context of relationships. But if you're close with someone, you will still find you and they making your hearts in some way vulnerable one to another. That probably won't be romantically unless it's a romantic relationship. But all of us need people. If you want to really, really hurt somebody, even in the most violent places in the world, such as prison, uh, you isolate them. Deny them all human contact. Deny them the kindness of interaction and what can result from uh, friendships. There is something about us, the manner in which God created us, where we deeply need other people. And it's important for us to never make the mistake of thinking we do not need other other people. Um, I have often heard... A, ther- a psychotherapist say that if someone is is having crisis emotionally cr- emotional crisis in their life, uh, the first thing they ask them is about their sleep. Um, sleep is fundamental to uh, healthy mental status. Um, the next thing they ask them about is what is their life. Is there an order to their life or are they living in chaos? Um, And I've heard at least one psychotherapist say that if they can get people to focus on good sleep and putting order in their life, those two disciplines can do more than all the drugs that any uh, psychologist or psychiatrist could ever try to prescribe to help a mental health just by organ getting yourself, your life organized and making sure you are getting uh, appropriate rest. Well, when I heard that, I immediately started thinking about how it applied to our our spiritual lives. And of course, 
those two things are applicable. Uh, remember the story of Elijah, where when the angel finds him in the wilderness, the first thing the angel says to him is, here, uh, rest. And Elijah rests. And then he wakes up. What does the angel do? The angel feeds him. He goes back to sleep. It's only after he wakes up on the second uh, long period of recovery that the angel asks him, what are you doing here? The lesson is that because his soul was so disordered, uh, it wouldn't matter if God was trying to speak to him in that manner. It wouldn't matter if heaven was trying to break in upon his understanding because his mind and his heart was so disordered that he could not receive it. Now, in that vein of spiritual principle, in that vein of spiritual instruction, let me give you one other thing that is similar. If you are trying to do life alone, it is very, very difficult for you to find meaning for you to live in psychological health and for you to have any sense of purpose to your life. We were not created to do life alone. That means if we're going to take that seriously, that means what we have to do and we have to take seriously. Yes. I repeat myself. That is connecting with other people, valuing relationships. I am primarily focused on uh, marriage and those kind of relationships where one is engaged or one is in a serious relationship. That said, isolation will uh, limit you in a way that very few other things can do. Um, so if you have close friendships, value them. Uh, they probably, the majority of them probably will not be romantic. Um, if you have a lot of romantic relationships in your life, that's another form of crazy, not to mention all the other problems that uh, follow. Um, value relationships, value friendships, value family members, value the church. Uh, you are not the body of Christ. You are a part of the body of Christ, which is a theological way of teaching us that we are incomplete in ourselves. And so um, back on point, now that I have made that appeal to all of you to open yourself to healthy relationships, um, I want to go back to this research we were referring to, and that is in relationships that succeeded, uh, marriage partners responded to over 80% of the what the psychologists call an emotional call, and that is where someone tells you about their bad, bad day. Someone tells you about how they're feeling. Someone confesses a, a need within themselves to you. Healthy relationships, the partner responds to 80 plus percent of an emotional call upon their time, upon their, their communication. Um, in marriages that failed, those same marriage partners only responded to 33% of their emotion of their partner's emotional calls. And so when we say, I will do life with you, when we say for better or worse, when we say I am yours and you are mine, um, we're doing something at a much more complete level than just, I like you 
I think you're pretty. I think you're admirable. I think you've got your life together. I can see me with you. It's much more than that. It is, and I'm going to surprise some of you when I say this, um, but I want to say it, and I am not uncomfortable with you being a little surprised by it. Um, And that is this. When you make a lifelong commitment to a spouse, what you basically just said is you are my lid to happiness. You are my lid. So much of your life is going to be with that person. So much of your potential is going to be with that person. That when you say to your spouse, I do till death do us part for better or worse, you you've in a very interesting way, you have said to them, you're my lid. And however good it's going, it's going to be, is going to be how good you are willing to make it. Now, that's a heavy thing to embrace. Uh, that is a, almost, at least for me, a mildly distressing thing to consider. Because there's a part of me that, want to say, that wants to say this, and it's not wrong, but it exists as an opposite to what I said earlier. The opposite of a great truth is often another great truth. And we live our lives in the tension between these two great truths. So on one hand, I have said to you that when you say to someone, for better or worse, till death do us part, you've said, in many ways, you're my lid on my potential happiness. Um, That's on one side. On the other side, there's a reality that you can't put two unhappy people together and then become happy. That almost never happens. Um, And if you depend on them to make you happy, you usually are setting yourself up for failure because what you're saying is, I'm broken, fix me. What's the problem with that? That is is something a human cannot do. That's the work that the spirit must do. Uh, God heals us. God puts us together. He finds us broken and he heals us. Your partner assists, but they are not God. So how can we say both things and not leave ourselves tied in a sort of um, logical Gordian knot? Well, here's how you do it. While it is true that your spouse cannot make you happy, Your potential happiness is the hard work you do plus the hard work he or she is willing to do. Your potential happiness is never only your work. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Your potential happiness is never your, never solely your hard work. What does that hard work look like? Um, You tend your garden just like Adam and Eve did from the beginning. You invest in yourself. You organize yourself. You quit being a slob. You develop and invest in friends. Pretty soon as your stock price goes up, members of the opposite 
SpaceX begin to notice your stock price <laughs> and they begin to decide whether or not they will place a bid. <laughs> if you don't do that, if you don't work on yourself, if you don't get yourself sorted out, if you don't invest in yourself, if you don't try to get a better job, if you don't try to improve yourself, if you're unwilling to do the work, you're, forgive me for saying it like this, I think it's funny, but helpful, your stock price never really goes up. And so the people who bid on you <laughs> are not willing to pay a whole lot of money. So you get the idea. Yes, I'm having fun with this. Uh, what is the point of it? Your lid of how good your life can be, your lid is not just the hard work you do. It's the hard work that you have of the person who has threaded his or her life, his or her heart into your heart. You are no longer just, you know, one and one. And you are still who you were, but now you've doubled your value. When you marry the right person, you should feel like they in many ways have made you rich. It probably isn't money. Um, hopefully they had some money. I know uh, if that's the standard, most of us failed. Uh, some of you had money when you got married. I hate you a little bit on the inside. We were poor and broke when we got married, but I still felt rich. Um, not in terms of money. Your potential happiness is not just the hard work you're willing to do, the discipline of soul and mind that you're willing to do to make yourself a better person, the self-respect you build by earning your own approval day after day, that self-respect that you build by building a career day after a day, the self-respect you build by investing in yourself and your human capital. You made yourself more valuable to who? To you. You earned your own respect. Now, imagine you're in a relationship that no matter what you will do, your partner doesn't see the value and has no interest in adding their happiness to yours. Um, this is what I'm trying to talk about. And so let me say it this way. The person we become is more than self-achievement. It's the gift we give first to our partner, secondly to our family, third to our church. Do you, do you see? Now, if you want to spiritualize this, um, the person we become is first a return of investment to God. He gives us gifts, we multiply it, we give it back. If for no other reason, you wanna work on becoming who you can become. But that is going to be a return on investment to God, do you see? He made an investment in you. He left you with talents and skills. You're going to return to him something that is in his image. What do I mean by that? God is a creator. He takes base things, clay, mud, etc., and he breathes into them. And out of base things, mud, <laughs> clay, comes a living soul. Do you see? You are a creator like God, but your field of endeavor is different than his. You are becoming every day. 
You are investing in yourself and your loved ones and his kingdom every day. To God, it is a return of his investment, but to your spouse, it is a gift. Your spouse is blessed in you, or I hate to say it, I don't like to think about it, or cursed in you. Um, This isn't to make you feel despair or to make me feel despair. This is to realize something, and, and that is this. Your spouse is the addition and perhaps multiplication to your potential happiness. So the life you live, the person you become, is first a return to God for his investment in you. Secondly, it's a gift to your spouse, and it is additionally a gift to your loved ones, your children, and then all the venues of your life, the relationships of your life. Ultimately, hopefully with God's help, with God multiplying our loaves and fishes, (laughs) it is a gift to the world. That is, of course, the prayer, the prayer that we pray. How do we invest then? If my happiness is a direct, my potential, my best potential life is in some way controlled by me and my spouse. And if her potential life, if her best life is controlled by her hard work and who I become, then how do I live as though I am a gift uh, to my spouse? Now, some of you right now are thinking, oh, Lord, I am stressed out already. I got on this call and I thought I was going to have something practical like my wife quit beating me when I complain about dinner. Um, and here you have gone and thrown us into the deep end of the pool and we don't even know where to start. I'm not unsympathetic, but uh, I want to I want to tell you that it's much easier than you think to raise your spouse's potential happiness. It's much easier than you think. Here's how I know that. They already chose you. They already believed in you. They already liked the way you flirted and liked the way you held hands. (laughs) They liked your humor. Think of the difference a little bit of effort on your part would make. They already want to giggle when you crack a joke. They already like the way you smile. They all, I know you can burn a bridge and get to the point where they don't, they're over you, but that's, 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 that's beyond the scope of this time tonight. It took you years to get there. It might take you years to get out, but that's, that's a cold reality. That's not what I'm talking about. Your spouse already chose you. Just think, okay, if you're with someone you like enough to choose for your whole life, if they just make a little bit of effort, it means a whole lot. You already like them enough to say, I give you all of me for the rest of me. A little bit of effort goes a long way. So how then, how then do we um, think about not just working on our happiness, but living in such a manner that we are a gift first to our spouses, then to our children or our immediate family, then to the church, and ultimately through the grace of God, a gift to the world. I, 
I can't answer the question of how to do all of that. So I'm going to make the problem set or the example set small enough that I won't be intimidated by it. And so I'm going to talk about just how you raise the potential of your spouse's happiness. How you. Now remember, they've already committed to you. Whatever you do, that's going to be as good as it gets for them. Unless they dump you and go look for someone else, which would be a sin and would not be the... They bet on you. They bet on red and you were red. They bet on you. As good as it can be is however good you're willing to work for it to be, do you see? If we take that seriously and we recognize that our spouse, as good, their, their best life is directly indexed to my sincere effort. Think about that. If that's the case, how can I invest in someone? I stood before God and the people of God and said I would give them the rest of my life. Come what may, for better or worse, sickness, health, rich or poor. The first thing I can try to do, the first thing we all can try to do is we can make an effort to understand the inner world of the person that we're living with. Now, that sounds trite, but it's not trite. It's one of the hardest long-term efforts that we will make in our life because people are not static. They are becoming, do you see? They are becoming, they are not static. Um, If you quit trying with your spouse seven years ago, you think you know them, but you don't. What you know is their habits. That's not who they are. Uh, You know their, uh, shall we say, hangups. You know what makes them angry. That's not who they are. That is how they cope. And that's not the same thing. We are all of us becoming. And if you're not interested in the person your spouse is becoming, you will, there is a, there is a solid chance that you will be like those people who wake up and they, I hear this uh, disturbing amount of time. It, it goes like this. Here's the case of divorced couples. I woke up one day and didn't recognize the person next to me. Uh, I hear that over and over again. I woke up one day and I didn't know the person next to me. I don't ever do it, but I want to do it. I want to say, well, when did you quit trying to know that person? It's the nature of human flesh for us to take each other for granted. It's the nature of human flesh to take each other for granted, to be ungrateful one toward another, not to care if we make each other fulfilled, not to care if the other person is enjoys being with us. Uh, are they, uh, uh, you understand what I'm saying? Um, it's so easy for us to assume our, 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 the nearest people in our lives, uh, they're stuck with us. And because they're stuck with us, those are the people with whom we do not try. There's a solid chance that in our carnality, we will tr- give, we will treat a new client way better than we treat our children because we're not taking them for granted yet. We could at some point. We will treat uh, a a walk-in customer at work better than we treat our spouse. Why? We don't take that person for granted. We still see them. 
if we do not seek to know each other's inner world, we can never know how to affect that inner world. Happiness in marriage is when your spouse cares about your inner world and in in some way places life in your inner world. You feel exhausted. They place life in you in some way. You feel uh, embittered by circumstances. They see it. They make you laugh. They raise your spirits. They raise your energy. And here's the sad reality. Half the time, we don't even make an effort to acknowledge our partner's inner world. Uh, Once you know how they cope with problems in their inner world, there is a solid chance you will be irritated by the way they cope with their problems because it's different than the way you coped with you cope with your problems or even more difficult. It's different than the way you saw your parents in your formative years cope with their problems. And here's somebody coping with problems in a way you don't respect. You have contempt for it. You don't want to listen to that story again. You're over it already. And then you wonder why they withdraw uh, from you. Uh, marriage, marriage is very much going back to the hard work of seeing each other, not the outside. I mean, that's part of it, uh, you know, but seeing the inner person. Because the truth is, all of us are capable in a, a certain circumstances of rising to the moment and being better than we actually are, more confident than we actually are more focused than we actually are under pressure in a moment we have heroic potential within us. And we look back and we say, I'm not really that good, that smart, that organized. I just, somebody had to do something. And likewise, all of us are capable of being more petty, more weak, more thumb sucky, as I like to say to my kids, (laughs) uh, than, than we really are. And all of us are in a battle with those versions of I I fight a battle with the versions of Nathan that I want to be and the versions of Nathan I don't want to be. And so that is that emotional reality. We're all like that man in the Bible who the Lord called the demons in him legion because there were so many. There's like many potentials within us. Tomorrow at work, there'll be potentials within us and we're always choosing. And then we don't like who we're becoming and we reset. Hopefully we repent, we pray. On the other hand, we get ahead of ourselves and we're not at a marathon pace. We're at a sprint. Well, what's the problem with the sprint? The problem with the sprint is you're going to stop running. And what if stopping running equals spiritual death? This race is not to the swift. It's to he who endures to the end. So we actually are burning the candle brighter than we actually can live it there. And we're acting stronger than we actually are. And that's where... In a marriage relationship, your spouse actually raises the lid of your potential by helping you balance this inner world because he or she cares enough to seek to know your uh, inner world. All right, I've talked enough about that one. Another way in which, and this is important, another way um, in which you can raise the net net potential value potential happiness, potential joy of your 
marriage relationship. I've already mentioned seeking to understand and positively influence their in, inner world. Uh, the second one is to um, value we, not just I and you. When we are married, there's almost as though a third psychological entity begins to develop in your life. There was me and you, that's a dating relationship. And then you begin to knit your lives together. And there is still a you and me, but there's now a we. And there's whole decisions that used to be made in me that I have now pushed into we. And if you don't value we and are comfortable pushing decisions from me into we. Let me give you an example. When I when we were newlyweds, I, lo- I, I back in the day, um, I used to love bookstores. And I'll never forget, we got married and uh, we were preaching somewhere. And I had been in the habit, single, of going to bookstores. Now, my wife probably doesn't even remember this, but I'd go to bookstores. I'd go to Barnes & Noble and I could just lose track of time in there. Well, she was back at the RV that we lived in as evangelists. And um, I was at the bookstore. I lost track of time. This is before cell phones, you know, right after the Civil War. And um, I don't know how it was, but I came back to the trailer. And when I got to the trailer, she was first she was crying and then she was mad. I mean, wet hen mad, <laughs> furious. And I realized that I could not just like a single man go hang out at the bookstore anymore. She had to know where I was. It wasn't just an I anymore. And I had to be willing, just as you had to be willing and have to be willing, to push my scheduling from me to we. Because, watch this, when we talked about our schedule, it really wasn't just about the schedule. It was about us. I hope some of you guys uh, wrote that down because you've fallen in the habit of resenting certain subjects your wife brings up. And it's not really about the subject. It's about we. Let me give you another example. Fights about money are almost never about money. That is just the trigger, do you see? Fights about money are fights about we, not about money. Money is just a form of expression, whether or not you value you or you value us. Uh, All right, I don't have time for that. (laughs) I want you guys to see though, there is a new entity that is created. It's not just me and her, or in your case, her and he, or he and her, you see, there's an us. And if I am not willing I know it doesn't happen overnight. If I'm not willing to elevate us over I, um, I am refusing my, I am, I'm limited my potential happiness because my spouse is my lid and I am her lid. I can, by being a jerk, I can lower her lid of potential happiness and she'll fall into a coping, rolling her eyes, silent protests. 
quiet retreats. You know how that works. Um, or I can raise the lid of her potential happiness by investing in her, by telling her to pursue something she wants to do, to not finding ways to make fun of her. You see what I'm saying? And cast and, and destroy your confidence when she takes a chance. And in the like manner, um, on Sunday, she can tell me what a great preacher. I Lord, let this just, just be ministered to somebody here tonight. Just <laughs> she, she can raise my potential happiness. So there is a we that emerges over time from I and you. And if you are not willing to push decisions into we that used to just be me, and if you're not willing to see the good in them, and if you're not willing to embrace their potential, support their potential, elevate their potential, uh, it's not just them that you are hurting. You're hurting yourself. This is why you cannot, you cannot, um, you cannot destroy your spouse's happiness without destroying your own. Uh, you know that saying, happy wife, happy life. You say happy spouse, happy life. The same idea. Uh, now, us men like to feel sorry for ourselves. But um, the and be honest, you women like to roll your eyes at men. So it works out well both ways. <laughs> um, but the, the point I'm trying to make is you cannot hurt him or her and it not lower your potential happiness. This is why when you're angry, you need to sin not. And when you want to say those words, you need to turn away from wrath. Why? If you think of this practically, like, well, it's a good Christian thing to do. Hallelujah. I did not curse her seven times before breakfast. I'm such a good Christian. No, no, you're, 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 all that's true, but you're missing how it affects you. You invest in them. You don't say hurtful things to them. You don't in some way mock them. You don't make them feel shame. Why? Because although it is a good Christian thing to do, there's also a component that your spouse is your lid. And you can lower your lid of happiness, potential happiness. You can raise it. Um, and so uh, all of these subjects that I'm talking about um, that we, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, money, um, conjugal relations, <laughs> in-laws, um, household chores, a lot of these things are not about them themselves. They're a discussion about we. And so uh, we have to find a way to invest in, um, in, in our partners, understanding that when we raise their potential happiness, um, we raise our own. So uh, let me talk about how am I doing on time? All right, I'm gonna try to quit after this. Um, oh man, there's, I got a couple other good things. Um, there's a study done by a clinician and uh, the name of the study, you can Google it yourself, how a couple views their past predicts, predicts their future. That's the name of the study. How they view their past predicts their future. Uh, remember how I talked about the researchers, they, 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 they researched people who had very successful marriages 
uh, that lasted for many, many years versus people who their marriage failed. Um, this is uh, in this study, this single thing predicted divorce and future marital satisfaction within, are you ready for this? 94% accuracy, 94% accuracy. And that is this, are you ready for this? You guys aren't ready for this. If you guys aren't gonna apply this, then I'm gonna pray the Lord will get you <laughs> in a very sweet way. Um, when they tell their story, if they speak words of appreciation one to another about what they've come through, about how they met, about how they've helped each other. If when the clinician talks to them, one spouse or either spouse tells their story, we all have a story with gratitude. There was 90, this is 94% accuracy. Those people who they spoke with gratitude about each other, even when they weren't together. Those people had successful, happy, long-lasting relationships. But if they complained about each other, when they were telling their past, and there was a real sense of wrong, watch, in their past, that why are they still talking about it? Why have they not forgiven? Because it hasn't been resolved. 94% accuracy. Those people would be divorced in just a few years. Now, this really isn't just about um, how you tell your stories. It, this is really about gratitude. Do you have any sense of thankfulness to your, to your spouse? Do you have any, do you try to tell them in small ways every day, thank you for something? Um, this is something that I, I deeply believe in. And um, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you all a true story. This is funny. Um, my wife is really good at this and I should be better at it than she is because I'm words of affirmation and she's gifts. That's our language of love. Um, but <laughs> she does this so regularly the other day, true story, y'all. She thanked me at the dinner table in front of our children for ordering food on DoorDash. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me, but that's like, but that's like, you know, if I would have cooked a meal that I would have understood that if I would like grilled steaks or you know, I, if I'd have done the dishes, no, I ordered food on DoorDash. How lazy do you have to be to order food on DoorDash? And she was like, thank you so much for ordering food on DoorDash. And I was like, sure, anytime, hon. <laughs> if you will find a way every day to express Thanksgiving, it's not really about just what your words you say. You know what you're saying? I see the effort you make to make this life we live better. This goes on and on. If your spouse has a work engagement, don't fight them tooth or nail. Help them be proud of you. Oh, I'm getting, oh, it's getting quiet now. If y'all watch the number of people in the room, watch people to start leaving. Boom, boom, boom. I want someone to take down a list of the names of people who start run out. When your spouse has to do a work event, don't fight them tooth and nail. Ask them, 
What do you want me to do? I want you to be proud of me. Do you like the way I look in this suit? I want you to be proud of me. Now, I'm, this is easier to preach than live, and I'm not super good at this. But this is the idea. Make them proud of you. It, you it, it, I look okay. I want, I want you to be proud of me. Uh, you know what I'm really saying? I'm willing to put in a little bit of effort to raise your, the lid of your happiness. Does that make sense? Um, if they have something at school and they need you to show up, Lord, help me to do better on this. I repent in sackcloth and ashes of how not, I've not done this. If they have something at, 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 with the kids at school, don't fight tooth and nail dads. Let them be proud of you. So much of what we do, it takes a little bit of effort and it's really not about the effort. It's about, I want you to feel rich in me. I want you to be proud when I show up at work and here you are and you're, how do you want me to act? Is there, it, do I embarrass you? Do I ever tell any dumb jokes? What is this about? This is about investing in your spouses, the lid of their potential happiness. And, and this is what I believe. If they have any sense at all, they will quickly see what you're doing and they will pay you back because they love you. Even if they haven't started doing this, if you'll do it, I think if they have any sense at all, they will see what you're doing. And here is the genius of it all. You will have created a culture of us. And that is pure gold. That is nothing but money. That is how to win. That is the Super Bowl right there. We create a culture of us. And I want to make you stinking proud of your life. I want to make you proud of your husband. I want to make you, I'm willing to put in some effort to push. It's like, imagine you're both carrying a heavy uh, beam, okay? I know I have to carry my end. But you want to show someone you care? Reach forward and help them with their how do I raise your, you co-create by having a willingness to do this, your own culture. And it starts paying off in small ways, time together, gratitude, date nights. If you like to do that kind of thing, movie nights, if you like kind of do that thing, this is how spouses, whether you're dating or married, you spend time and you should notice what dating people do. And you should surprise your spouse with dating culture a little bit. It'll shock them so bad. They won't know what to do with themselves. It's a good thing. It'll put a smile in the relationship. You create your own culture. And the gift of this culture is this. I am all about you. If you ever can do that, you will be stunningly blessed, lucky, and relation, relationally rich. And all your friends will be mad at you. And they will tell you to stop making them look bad. <laughs> You understand what I'm saying? All right, that's enough. Um, I'm going to take a moment here. We're going to reflect on this. We're going to pray a little bit. And um, if any of you have any questions, I want to open up for any questions. I know the first one that you're going to ask, and so I'm going to do it. If anyone was going to ask the question, what do you do if you're in a relationship and you're doing that and they aren't? 
there's no need to ask that question. I'm going to deal with that question after we take a moment here. If you can think of another question <laughs> um, besides that one, um, let's take a moment here. I'm going to lead us all in prayer and we're going to reflect for a few moments and um, we'll be back to, we'll, 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 we'll be back and say like three minutes here uh, to answer any questions. Lord, first, I'd like to repent for my uh, laziness uh, in relationships. I want to repent for my selfishness. I am so capable of ridiculous levels of selfishness. I don't want anyone to interrupt the book I'm reading. I don't want anyone to interrupt the podcast I'm reading. I'm tired. I have too much social obligation. I want to go downstairs and hide in my room. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to do a better job at raising the happiness potential of my children, my wife, even my parents, oh God. Help me to bring joy to them. And every time I talk tough about how much I love them, I want you to convict my heart in such a way that I'll see whether or not I'm really investing in them or I'm just talking tough. Lord, I pray that divine love would work in my life and heart and that I would do I, there's no risk of me getting to divine love. I'm, 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 I'm incapable of that selfless love shown to us in scripture. But Lord, I, I've got to keep it burning on my horizon like a star to lead wise men. I've got to keep reorienting myself to that kind of love. I pray, Lord, that we all of us will be humbled before you. Um, I pray we all of us would be re energized to invest in our relationships. Um, let us start with me, Lord, and let the culture of it start in me, uh, that we might, we might be worthy of the gifts you've given us. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I don't see any questions. So I'm going to deal with this one to give you time. Uh, if I have, you have a question. Oh, I have okay. a question. All right. Speak. Um, um, I was writing down and listening to you and it does make a lot of sense. But what if you are moving in a different direction, but usually striving for the same thing. But like if a person, you're serving the Lord and you're doing all you can to live in the spirits, walk in the spirit and everything, and they're walking in the flesh and doing things that are in opposition to you. Yeah, unequally yoked together is, is a very difficult thing, and it is very much a burden across in your life. Um, it's important for you not to use unequally yoked together as an excuse to just give up on the relationship. You made a vow, and you need to fight for that. You do have the option of uh, if they are, if they have in some way uh, been unfaithful to you, um, you biblically have an option uh, there to um, remove yourself from the relationship. Uh, also, no one should no one should bear abuse. Um, it's better to live single than it is to live in an abusive relationship. Um, it's not a little bit better. It's a lot better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, especially if the, the, like, let me put it this way. You see the good in that person, but they have these spirits and they're fighting. They're, they're doing, you know, they have a battle that they're dealing with. So you fight the with the battle in prayer. You pray, you pray, you pray, but 
um, sometimes it gets a little frustrating, but you know, you just pray and pray and pray, but they don't understand why you're doing the things you're doing because when you live in spirit, you walk in spirit. They, they don't have to understand. They only have to respect. Yeah. You, you, you have the right to ask to, to, to for them to respect. The life yeah. You don't, it's, it's unfair for you to expect them to understand because no. if they understood, they would be right there beside you living. Exactly. Um, so um, this is a, a, a fairly large subject. I probably at some point need to do a, a whole um, Bible study or two on unequally yoked um, and the difficulty of it. Um, one thing I want, uh, let me just give you a quick few pointers off top of my head, utterly without preparation here. Um, but I, I really wasn't prepared for anything tonight. Um, I just, so I guess uh, it'll be, can't be any worse than what we've already had here. So um, the first thing I would say is quit thinking your prayers can make them do something. Your prayers can't make them do anything. Prayer isn't about changing other people. Prayer is about changing you or me. You see what I'm saying? And so all of us who are caught up in a hat and in this habit of where I'm going to change them through prayer. No, that's, that is fallacy. Uh, you do not change other people through prayer. What prayer can do is change the conditions of other people, but they can still, they can go to their grave, refusing to change, refusing to believe, refusing to bow their knee. Prayer can change their conditions, but it can't change them. They have to humble themselves. Um, God makes a broken world whole through love, not power. Power is what we want. That's why we pray for power. Uh, the Lord thought power was what was wrong with the world. And so he laid it down to show how love can make a difference. Okay. So we don't pray for power over people's decisions. Um, we can pray for the context of their life to be changed. So if you're praying for them to change, um, you, you have a theological a misalignment. Um, you can pray for circumstances in their life to change and you can pray for them. Uh, but you, you can't make them change through prayer. Um, I've known people who spent years of their life feeling like a failure because they were praying for an unsaved loved one. And that, that unsaved loved one wasn't coming to, wasn't coming back to church ever, ever, ever. And so they felt like a failure. Think of all the lives they could have touched, but they were constantly focused on this one person who wouldn't change. Think of all the encouragement they could have given to other people. They misunderstood the power of prayer. Prayer is not about power over other people. The only power you have is over yourself. And so make sure you're not casting away your confidence and developing a sense of failure in your life uh, because you are praying for them and they aren't changing. Uh, make sure you're not doing that. Um, however, it is right for you to ask for them to respect your decisions. So you have to start investing in them before you can invest in their faith. You cannot remove affection from them because they don't, they, they, they don't go to church with you. You cannot remove kindness from them because they don't go to church with you. You, their, their happiness is still part of your happiness, whether or not they ever come to church. You just have to find the good in them. God, help me see the good in, in thy chosen. That principle that we apply all across the church, it's true everywhere. Um, I have friends, uh, very dear friends, who don't go to church. They're agnostic. I still find ways to compliment them. We have good friends. There's still things about them I admire. I have one friend who is a, he's a screaming atheist, screaming atheist. And I love to tease him. 
I tell him he's a better Christian than he thinks he is, and it drives him crazy. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, look how you try to help people. You're a closet Christian, drives them nuts. Find stuff that you can invest in them about. Find that, compliment them about that. Be great, grateful for that. Okay, so they don't support you in church. Is Do they support you nowhere? Is there not anything you can find in? Um, let's stop the discussion of um, unequally yoked together uh, here because it is such a big subject. We'll have to come back. We'll have to come back that uh, together. Um, and so I don't see any other questions. I want to deal with this one question. What if they're not trying? Um, I would say the most common thing in my experience is they quit trying because somehow they were hurt enough to give themselves an excuse to stop trying. Um, if we could learn to apologize one to another, rather than fighting over who's right and wrong, we might have more helpful uh, conversations. Why do I emphasize that? Because somebody has to go first. If you're living in a relationship where nobody's trying, or if you're trying and you're the only one, <laughs> um, it's probably there's some healing that needs to happen. And so that's something you can pray for. Um, you probably wounded them by making, if you think of uh, human love like a bank account that you are either depositing money into or you're taking money out of, and if you keep taking money out of it pretty soon, the net net of your relationship is, is, is bad. And now people are quit trying. Um, some people are, it is true. Some people are so dysfunctional from the way they are raised that um, I've seen people try and try and it not get anywhere. That is a real thing. I wish it weren't, but it is real. Um, however, I think that's much more rare than the, than the self-deception of vanity and pride. I told him, I told her, he's not gonna treat me like that. That's, that's the self-deception of vanity and pride. Um, if somebody's not trying, try a little tenderness, quit being right and admit that there's a problem and just ask them, how do you think, what's our next step? Are you satisfied with our relationship? What's our next step? Um, and don't worry about winning the argument. That's not your next step. That's like six months from now when you're having a good date and on the way home, one of you laughingly says, remember that fight we had? Man, we got all worked up over that. That's nine months down the road, nine months of hard work. Your next step is, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to start expressing gratitude. I'm going to start being thankful. I'm going to notice what you do for this family. There's a lot of men. And I just say this for men and I'm going to say it for women in, in a different way in just a moment. There's a lot of men. They're not great at holding you while you listen to Celine Dion. <laughs> they hold you while you listen to Celine Dion and they gaze into your eyes and they say, tell me your dreams. But honey, they showed up for work. There's a lot of women out there that don't have a man who does that. Can you say thank you for that? Instead of focusing your neurotic obsession on, he didn't hold me last night listening to Celine Dion sing all by myself. No, but that sucker went to work. Um, so what can you compliment in them? And what can you be thankful for? The same thing is true about uh, women. 
uh, men, uh, you might find yourself in a situation where something stresses her out and to you it's contemptible. And you can express, I, I'm guilty of this, you can express your contempt. What do you mean you didn't fix that? What do you mean? Um, you see what I'm saying? Um, okay, so she does not enjoy changing the muffler on the car and she has no desire to do it whatsoever. But can you see the good in something that you don't ever want to do? Or must you always, because you were raised with contempt, must you always make a contempt draw on the bank account of your relationship? That's enough. I'm going to pray one more time. Lord, help us. We all can do better. And let me start here. I don't want to be the guy who's all the time telling others and my own house is in a mess. Let it start here. Let me invest. Let me work. Let me seek to make my wife's happiness rise. Let me seek to make her look good. Let me seek to make her, you know what I'm saying, Lord. If we have strong marriages, our church is strong in ways that no amount of falling out on Sunday can emulate. I know lots of people who fall out on Sunday and their marriages in tatters. If you put our make our marriages strong, there is a stability in our church that no amount of programs can create. I know people who will work hours on the, the, the programs and they, they, they can't keep a relationship. Make us strong in a way that mimics the body of Christ where we're knitted together and illustrates the ultimate homecoming where we as the bride of Christ are called to meet our heavenly bridegroom. We need your help and we thank you for it in Jesus name. Let me end with this. If this is too heavy for you, um, remember they already chose you. A little bit of effort goes a long way. They already like your jokes. They already laugh at your humor. They're already, they were a sucker for you. And they said, I do. Amen. So a little bit of effort will make you look like a superstar. All right. That's enough. Love you. I'll leave the room open. Y'all greet each other. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.